In 2018, the Wealth Standard Podcast broke down the year into three seasons, each focusing on a principle from the inspired works of philosopher John Locke, specifically his philosophy on life, liberty, and property. In 2019, we progressed from principle to the ideal environment for building wealth and achieving prosperity. The theme was laissez-faire capitalism. For season two, it continues. The theme is entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and how you apply the principles and environment to the individual. The guests ranging from economists to entrepreneurs to political influencers, authors, and more will teach you how to take your life to the next level. Now, on to the next episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Will Standard Podcast. Okay, you guys have heard my guest today, not necessarily in person, but I reference him quite often. His name's Cameron Harold, and Cameron is the host of the Second in Command podcast and also the best-selling author of The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, Elevate Yourself to Elevate Your Business, as well as Meeting Suck, Turning One of the Most Loathed Elements of Business into One of the Most Valuable and also one of his newer books, Free PR, How to Get Chased by the Press Without Having a PR Firm. And one of my favorites, which you guys can see right here, Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Three Years or Less. And it's actually in its seventh printing. So this has been popular not just in my life, but in others' lives uh, as well. So Cameron's also the founder of COO Alliance, which is an organization that helps COOs become better leaders. And he is the mastermind behind hundreds of companies, exponential growth, and has built a dynamic consultancy, including his time as COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And his current clients include a big four wireless carrier, as well as a monarchy, which must be an interesting experience for you. But Cameron, you've blessed my life in so many ways, and I'm really grateful to have you on today. Thank you. You're really welcome. So Cameron, what I thought we'd focus on with the time that we have is to talk about the idea of an entrepreneur and what makes up an entrepreneur, not just in the early stages, but as they grow. So first, like, what do you often see as the common attributes in an entrepreneur that leads them to long-term success? Strangely enough, a lot of the attributes are the ones that the school system and the medical community have labeled as diseases. <laughs> um, but a lot of entrepreneurs have attention deficit disorder, or ADD, and a lot of entrepreneurs are on the spectrum for bipolar disorder. And I'll explain why both of those are traits that are found in most entrepreneurs and why they're actually superpowers, not diseases. In terms of attention deficit disorders, so I have 17 of the 18 signs of ADD. So I am hyper aware of everything that's happening. I see what's happening with my customers, suppliers, the market, the economy. I notice the little tiny things on the website, patterns jump out at me off spreadsheets. I'm hyper aware of time and return on investment and just everything that's kind of going on in the business landscape within my company and around me, which gives me a superpower because I'm seeing everything that's happening. And because I'm seeing everything, I get a little bit distracted, which gets me passing stuff off to people, which is delegating. So that's a good thing. If I was so hyper-focused, I would miss everything. You know, if I was like an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, I'd be so hyper-focused on one thing, I would miss all the important stuff. It's almost like the absent-minded professor. That's a terrible trait to have as a business person. So. The school system and the medical community thinks that having this disbursement of attention is a bad thing when it's actually really good. We're not supposed to be teachers or doctors or engineers or lawyers. So 
they think that there's something wrong with us, but we're not supposed to be like them. You don't find a whole lot of inspiring teachers who are running companies, right? They're not like us. We're not like them. But we also don't have a disease. <laughs> the second thing is the um, bipolar. So bipolar is the, the manic depression or hypomanic episodes. But Ted Turner had it. Bill Gross had it. Two of the founders of Netscape, Steve Jobs, Henry Ford, Richard Branson, all bipolar. So maybe those aren't diseases after all. The mania of bipolar or the hypomanic periods are often what give us the energy to start things. They give us the enthusiasm and the energy, the kind of quick start nature of doing an acquisition, opening up in a new market, hiring somebody before we're sure of how we're going to pay for them. Taking risks, um, yeah. Taking what people see as risks and we just see as very calculated bets because we see everything going on around us. So they see it as risky and we see it as just momentum creating momentum. And no one's going to join you if you're a flat energy. <laughs> like controlled, calculated, like a teacher or a doctor or an engineer, it's boring. But that crazy manic energy is why people join. It's why they quit a company. It's why they invest. The depression and stress is simply us course correcting when we've got too much stress in this zone and we don't really have a network of people to speak with or talk to that we can really share how it's going. Now, you can't tell the employee that you're recruiting, that you're not quite sure how you're going to make payroll, but you're the best company in the world. So you can't tell your spouse that you've leveraged everything to make that next big bet. You can tell her when you've made it successful, but it's really hard to tell them about the stress that we're under. So we often live in this zone that causes the hypomanic periods or the stressful depressing. And bipolar disorder has been nicknamed by the medical community as the CEO disease. So if 3% of the population are bipolar and 3% of the population are entrepreneurs, maybe it's a correlation of success, not a correlation of a disease. So that's what makes them successful are traits. So that's kind of the thing one, right? And then thing two, nature is the traits. The nurture part is strong leadership skills, strong sales skills, strong business planning skills, strong understanding of skills. And nowadays, more than ever, we no longer have to be the smartest person in the room. We have to be in the right room. It's really about the networking and the ability to network and mastermind and connect with others who can solve the problem for us. It's more, it's a who problem not now, not a how problem. 30 years ago, you had to memorize everything and learn it and know it or hire people. Now you just have to know who can do it for you. Where does leadership fit into that? The principles, the attributes of leadership, is that, is that on the shoulders of the entrepreneurs or on the shoulders of a different position or both maybe in different ways? Yeah. Leadership is that kind of soft skill that allows you to attract people, allows you to align people, allows you to inspire people. And that's with customers, suppliers, and employees, all three, that if you're not a really strong leader, you'll fail. In fact, 30 years ago, I was at an organization called College Pro Painters. I actually recruited and hired Kimball Musk. Elon's brother to be a franchisee for me, and then also his cousin who built Solar City worked for me back in 1993 as well. One of the other guys who worked for me, I won't use his name, but my VP came in and he said, this guy will not be successful as a franchisee. He will fail. And I was like, nope, he's got it. I can lead him. I can coach him. I can manage him. And he said, he's an alien. He does not fit. He cannot lead. He will not be able to lead himself. He won't be able to lead his employees. He won't be able to inspire. He'll work hard. He'll have the tenacity, he'll have goals, but he doesn't have the leadership traits or skills to be able to lead others or himself. And sure enough, he was completely right. This guy completely failed. It's not about having the skills. It's about having the ability to lead and inspire and align others as well. Is that innate or is that something that can be acquired? No, it's innate. Leadership is something that you notice in kids. It's the kid who is 
basically told to sit still and pay attention in class because they're disrupting class. Well, the reason we're disrupting is everyone's following us. That's an energy field that you have. A leadership is more of an energy field and EQ. So it's the ability to, you notice the top kids, the captain of the teams, the top cub, the top scout, the kid in the church youth group, the one who calls all of his friends and they follow the people who they hang out at your house. That's leadership. That's an innate, it's a magnetic field and an energy trait that people have or don't have. That's incredible. You can learn how to be a better leader, but it's really, really hard to shift energy in a way that gets other people to be attracted. The seed has to be there first, and then you nurture that seed in order for it to grow. Correct. Yeah. So maybe stepping back one moment, the mold of an entrepreneur and the, these attributes, which are you know, essentially alienating people from the mold of, of what society considers successful, whether it's education or, or the medical community, what are the ways in which entrepreneurs acknowledge this, identify it, and then escape it. I'm not sure if escape is the right word, but, but handle it, right? Because I think part of our you know, human nature, we want to have friends. We want to be in community. We want to have fun with other people, not just ourselves. Like, What are ways in which entrepreneurs identify who they are, that they're different from the common mold, and then are, are good and okay with it? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, a lot of entrepreneurs, and this is changing now because now since really in the last 20 years, but since 98, 99, when the first rise of the first dot-com era happened, entrepreneurship started to be cool. And then through kind of 2008, 2009, the second wave, it became very cool because people realized, oh, it wasn't this flash in a pan crash. It's back. It's not going away. And you could be an entrepreneur. You could travel the world. You could work from anywhere remotely with a laptop. You could make money in your sleep or you could make money remotely. All of a sudden, entrepreneurship became cool. Prior to that, prior to 98, and it's cool because you've got the book sitting on your desk, Atlas Shrugged was the only book that the capitalist was the hero. Prior to 1998, literally a book written in 1955, the only book where the entrepreneur was a, was a hero. Otherwise, the entrepreneur was a capitalist. They were greedy. They were materialistic. Even when I was growing up, the rest of my family kind of thought negatively of our side of the family because we were all entrepreneurs. <laughs> but we were greedy. We were profit-centric. We were only concerned about money. It wasn't true. I was actually raised to be an entrepreneur to control my time that I could have my free time, not about money. That's so fascinating how there's so much similarity in the word capitalist and entrepreneur as far as what they describe. At the same time, those words in most people's minds have completely different meanings. I find that fascinating. That's a very interesting point. And so would you consider the entrepreneur more from the, how society views them, the entrepreneur more of the value creator, the innovator, someone that's making life better as opposed to the capitalist, which I would say is construed as you know, the exploiter, someone who takes advantage of others for gain? Well, I think it's both. You know, I don't think you're exploiting. There's no entrepreneur. This is what we realized even in the, the book Atlas Shrugged was we don't need a government or a union to teach us what we need to do. We're going to do that out of profit and greed alone. We're going to build a great company because it gives us more cash and gives us more time. We're going to take care of employees because they make us more money. We don't need anyone to tell us to do that. That's what we will do. If they don't, we have a bad company. So I don't think there's anything wrong with being a capitalist. Like, why shouldn't we be able to make money and have the profits from what we are? Anybody else out there can take risks too, but most don't. You know, more people currently work for government, either Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, teachers, doctors, lawyers, city, state, federal government. More people are paid by the government than are paying taxes into the government. So all of those people who sit and complain about capitalists and greed have a choice, but they don't want to make it. They don't want to be an entrepreneur. That's cool. A lot of them get a pension for life and they can retire after 25 years. 
that's great. That's not the path I choose. I choose to actually be in control of my life, my profit, my time. Yeah, the philosophical angle that you could take on just the, the nature of an entrepreneur, nature of a capitalist, how, how long it's existed and how evident it is in, in so many different aspects of history. But yet still, you know, today the view on it continues to be misunderstood. But we don't need to go, on, go down that path because there's a, a few things that I wanted, to, I wanted to get into because I associate these things with your expertise and what you've taught and what you've written about. So when it comes to the entrepreneur and maybe the seed level where an idea is planted and a value proposition is created and then scaling into leveraging a team, what are some of the common challenges as entrepreneurs go from you know, those initial toddler stages into the teenage young adult years? Like, What are some of the common challenges they face that they must overcome? I'll tell you one trait that we've noticed with most entrepreneurs is that in grade school or high school, they had at least one venture, and it might only last for a day, it might last for a week, but they at least one time, they were buying stuff and selling stuff. They were buying stuff and selling it for more. They were buying a box of business or of uh, you know, hockey cards and selling them for more, or they were buying candy and selling it for more. They were selling their Halloween candy, or they were, they were buying low and selling high. And that's a trait, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but there's an extraordinary amount of entrepreneurs that sold pot at some point in their life. Like they bought something, they split it up, and they sold it. They understood the hustle. They understood the value. They understood that there was a need, and they could satisfy it. And um, that was just something that you notice in kids. And, a mar- and the margin, yeah. Margin, right? Like they just understood that. So that's a trait that you see. I think something that a lot of them struggle with is a lot of kids are recognizing that school is not that good, not that valuable, that it emotionally is beating up a lot of kids. Unless you're a pure A student, the other 95% of the kids are told every day you're dumb and you're not good enough and you're not very smart. That emotionally takes a massive toll on people. I went to school for 18 years and was always told I was a C student. I was always told I was a 65 percenter. So I would struggle and work really hard and then let down again. That emotionally destroys somebody's confidence over time. And I think a lot of kids are wondering why they're even in school in the first place. I was listening to a couple of girls that were going off to college this year, and they were just saying, you know, I'm going into college, but I think I might drop out after first year. I just don't see value. I'm like, good for you, man, because there's not, you can't run the ROI and actually make sense off this anymore in most cases. You're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki. He wrote the book, Why A Students Work for C Students and B Students Work for the Government. I think it's very relevant to all the comments you've just made. You know, and that's where, again, going to society and how society, you know, through the school system has, in a sense, objectively measured a person, their identity, their intelligence. And I think that's just extremely debilitating for people, for students and as they grow up. But I, but I, I do love the thing you said a moment ago with regards to entrepreneurs, the idea is becoming more renowned and there's more of the hero element labeled uh, as the entrepreneur rather than the black sheep or the person that's a little weird. I think it's, it's growing in popularity because people have seen the results of what ideas have done to improve the lives of everybody. Yeah, I think the struggle that a lot of them have is that they don't realize that entrepreneurship is a lot tougher than they think. It's just not that easy to go out and you know plug up your website and all of a sudden get sales. Or they get sales, but they realize they're spending so much on you know affiliate fees and marketing and advertising and overhead that they're not making enough margin. So a lot of them don't actually slow down enough to think through the, the little bit of the business model and how much work or time it's going to take to scale to replace their job. 
I think a lot of people are moving more to the gig economy, which is still very entrepreneurial. But in the gig economy, what they're doing is that they are, you know, able to do a really great job that they're great at, but do it for a number of companies. So instead of, you know, being a copywriter for one company, they might be a copywriter for 10. And then some of those people are able to make that transition into turning that into a company, which is amazing. So, so would you awesome. comment on like the dynamic of getting to the, the stage in which a team is required, employees are required, you know, business units are required? I mean, going off of some of these, the challenges that the entrepreneurs face, like what are those common ones when it comes to building a team, building those around you that have certain skill sets that maximize yours or help well, to maximize sometimes, yours? Sometimes it's a requirement, but sometimes it's more of an opportunity. The opportunity is that you're leaning out into the future and deciding to build something that's bigger than you that allows you to make money from other people, right? It replicates yourself. So as an example, when I was running my first business, I was 21 years old. I had 12 full-time employees. They were painting houses for me. I was making $3.52 per labor hour. So I knew that I was making, if I had all 12 people working, I was making about $38 an hour. That was better than me working as a painter and making 15. Because if I could have them making $38 an hour and I could take four hours off during the day, I was making money and I controlled my time. So it was about how do you replicate yourself to move yourself out of the equation so that other people are making money for you and they're still doing well. Could that be characterized as leverage? Of course, yeah. And again, it's really leaning out into the future and deciding what are you building? You know, a lot of people don't sit and craft what their life looks like. I talked about this in my book, Vivid Vision was really deciding what your life looks like, deciding what your business looks like, and then working it backwards, figuring out how can I make that happen. So if you want a business that throws off free time and throws off the money, that's what you have to do is reverse engineer that. And then you're not hiring people because you need to, you're hiring people because it logistically makes sense. I didn't plan on asking you this because I love, Vivid Vision is something that I connected really deeply with when I read your book and wrote the first one I haven't finished the second one, but wrote the first one from 2017 going into 2020. And it was one of the worst points of the business since you know 2008, 2009. And what I was writing down and going through the different exercises that you recommend, it's this idea of being pulled into the future. But most people are living that, you know, by looking in the rear view mirror as opposed to you know, through the windshield. And I'm not sure where that comes from. It's evident in, in a lot of different circumstances. But the idea of looking into the future and specifying things and thinking about things and you know, visualizing things that essentially pull where you are right now into that vision. Would you maybe briefly comment on that? Well, yeah, and a lot of it is that people don't actually think strategically about what they want to build. They're thinking strategically of how to build it. And those are very different things. <laughs> yeah. How to build something and what you're building are two very, very different things. So what people need to first think about is what am I building? What's it look like in that future? And then how do I build that? You know, when Elon Musk was building the, um, you know, he acquired Tesla. He bought Tesla from the two founders and investors, and then he decided he was going to build something. Do you know why the Tesla Model S has the seven-seat option? No. He has five oh, because kids. because of his kids or something? Wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't he's, he's got five kids. He's got twins and triplets. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to build a car company, it may as well fit your family. Secondly, so he's got five kids. Now, Elon is six foot five. He's, a, he's an inch taller than I am. So when he sits in the front seat, the person sitting behind him has a lot of leg room, right? It just works for him. And then it also is a really sleek, fast vehicle like his former car, the McLaren F1 was. So it's fast, it's sleek, it fits his family. 
And then he said, we have to price it in a way that people can buy it. Who wants to help me build it? That's somebody who is leaning out into the future and reverse engineering it. Most people try to make what they have a little bit bigger. I'd love to keep going on that topic, uh, but I, I want to address one of the big projects you have and initiatives, which is COO Alliance. Would you maybe talk about the difference between a CEO and a COO and then how they work in harmony to carry out this vision of the future? Sure. So the COO's role is really to play the balance to the CEO. You know, the CEO is really the visionary and the person who's thinking about where to go. The COO figures out how to make that happen. It's almost like if you had a traditional family of a husband and wife raising kids, if you asked her, how did you raise your kids? She'd have a very true story. If you ask him, how did you raise your kids? He'd have a very true story, but they'd be different. But they're in sync together as a team, kind of a yin and yang. So the COO has to be really good at and love to do all the stuff the CEO doesn't like to do or sucks at. So it's very different from, from different companies. In some cases, the CEO runs finance. In some cases, they run marketing. In some cases, they run ops. It's just very different. So as you work with, within the, the COO Alliance, which is you know, training these leadership positions to be better leaders and, of course, be the yang to the yin of the CEO, what are some of the common light bulb moments you see when you're taking them through you know, your curriculum, the exercises, meetings, and, and so forth? Like, what are some of those common things of like, wow, I never realized that, or you know, that makes total sense. I can't believe I didn't see that before. It's first off is really getting the COO aligned with the vision so they understand what they're building, coming up with a plan and ensuring the CEO signs off on the plan. And then working on the skill set of the COO to keep increasing their skills so that their skill set is ahead of the curve of what they need to be good at, right? So they're always getting better because the company is going to be getting better as well. They're always going to be leaning out into the future and working on those. So as you've developed like your curriculum and what you're teaching these COOs, what are some of the initial things that you want to ensure they have that serve as a foundation for some of the future things that they can stack onto that? Yeah, it's actually less of a curriculum and it's more of a mastermind community where they are meeting and connecting with each other, where they're sharing information and ideas. I just give them the topics and they're sharing the, uh, the suggestions and best practices with each other. So it's really giving them a forum to share with each other versus me sitting and talking and teaching them. I see. I see. Okay. Well, maybe a few more things, then we can wrap up. Maybe talk about what you're working on right now, what you're paying attention to, where you see opportunity for entrepreneurs to take their game to the next level. Like, What are some of the things you're paying attention to, books you're reading? And then also, how can our audience follow you, learn more about what you're writing, what you're speaking on, and, and so forth? Sure. So I guess one of the things that I'm looking at right now and thinking a lot about is artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, automation, robotics, and the massive amount of layoffs that are coming because of that. You know, if you think about just autonomous vehicles, so here's a really interesting example, and most people are completely clueless on this. They keep going, well, Tesla has a lot of competition now. There's a lot of companies building electric cars. Tesla is not an electric car company. Tesla is building the largest autonomous vehicle network in the world. Their entire model has already jumped the shark of building cars. Do you know that the Tesla Model 3s, it's impossible to purchase the car at the end of your three-year lease. All of those vehicles go back to Tesla, which means in the next 18 months, yeah, so 18 months from now, all those Tesla Model 3s 
become the initial cars in the rollout of the first autonomous vehicle network in the United States. The fleet, nobody's, yeah. nobody's even paying attention to that. Well, once this rolls out over the next three years, every taxi driver, limo driver, shuttle driver, car company, car rental companies, parking lots, gas stations, driver's ed programs, car insurance programs, all of these people are getting laid off. Parking lots, like the amount of ripples that this is going to cause instantly. And people are saying, oh, well, you know, those people can learn how to code. There's no way that a taxi driver is going to learn how to code. There's no way that a shuttle driver, that a guy working at a parking lot is not going to become a programmer. So we're going to have a huge amount of layoffs coming. That's going to be a big ripple. And the second one is how do you leverage all of these things into your business? How do you leverage AI? How do you leverage um, robotics? How do you leverage autonomous vehicles? How do you leverage outsourcing? And I think we're trying to become very protectionist and that's going to hit us in the head real hard. So are you, are you more in the discovery phase of like seeing how it's going to make an impact or have you actually identified opportunities that would serve a role in various types of industries? Yeah, we're looking at with all my coaching clients, we're looking at how do we leverage the tools that exist and start plugging them into our businesses. So I attend some conferences specifically for this. I go to Abundance 360, which is uh, Peter Demandis, the founder of Singularity and the XPRIZE started. Yep. Also be going back to TED for my ninth year at the main TED conference. I'm going to TED Women uh, in about three weeks, which is about 900 Tedsters that are, are going just to see what's happening in that space. So I'm kind of plugged into a couple of very futuristic mastermind groups for the purpose of seeing what's coming and being able to be ahead of that curve. You know, just it's almost like what's happening with China. Like, you know, the United States thought it was a military war and China decided to outthink us and outstrategize us and about 12 years ago shifted to be a financial war. They win. They literally, they won. They outthought, outmaneuvered, and outstrategized. And the U.S. is now becoming very protectionist and still trying to fight wars on oil when they've already jumped the shark and they're now buying us up. You can either now get on that wave or you can try to fight against it. Who would you say are thought leaders in that space? Maybe other than Peter Diamandis, like some thought leaders that you're paying attention to and, and leveraging their visions and seeing what they're trying to see what they're seeing. I think it's going to the events and actually listening to the speakers that are brought in or it's okay. going online and watching the videos, like watching Ted and going on and seeing what's happening. Or it's you know subscribing to the newsletters and reading what comes out. There's a lot of that information and resources that are there. It's less about one person and it's more about just watching the themes of what's coming. Got it. Got it. Devour, devouring podcasts, um, listening it. Like you listen on, I told one of my kids last night that you know, the Elon Musk, Joe Rogan podcast that everybody's talking about is one of the most brilliant insights to Elon that I've ever seen. I've known him since uh, I was a reference for Elon in this first round of funding in January of 95. So I mean, I've known him for 23 years, 24 years. It really gave insights into first the humanity of Elon Musk, but secondly, his thoughts around AI and around autonomous vehicles and around robotics and around space. And He's really, really concerned about the singularity when computers become smarter than people and governments aren't listening. And I think that's stuff to just listen. Like instead of watching another football game or another baseball game, like let's wake up and actually start devouring the content of what's going to change the world. And I'm an optimist. I, I think this is all exciting stuff, but I think it's, the change is happening very, very fast. And that's what I was going to comment on. You know, it really is exciting. I mean, people can look at it from a, a very pessimistic perspective, but there's not much they can do about it at this point. I mean, the train's left the station. Uh, it's more a matter of time and where it starts to make an impact first, but it's really exciting because I think it's going to make life a lot more efficient, calculated in a sense, 
And I think it'll be good for people if that's how they, they look at it and what they can do as a result, as opposed to being afraid and blaming and demonizing you know, some of those advances, which I definitely think is going to be coming down the road. But I'm really excited. I went to CES in, you know, last year and just amazing just to see kind of all the different innovation that's happening. And it's not just in the United States, it's around the world. It's global, yeah. You know, you think about the iPhone is only 12 years old, right? Like this device that we now take for granted is only 12 years old, right? And, and how has that changed the world? Well, now think about how fast AI is coming and how fast autonomous vehicles are coming. I drove in the very first Google experimental car nine years ago at TED, and it'll be 10 years this spring. So 10 years ago, they were doing a demo on video and everyone in the audience was like, whoa, and this is the main TED. This is like Bill Gates is in the audience and Bezos is in the audience and Steve Jarvis is in the audience. The guy from Google said, if you want to go try it, it's out in the parking lot. And 1,800 people got up and went running for the parking lot. <laughs> no one had seen it. Like no one had seen this. It hadn't come under wraps. So to be able to go ride in that vehicle 10 years ago and now think that last year my Tesla drove itself from Scottsdale to Vancouver is extraordinary how fast this is coming. You know, we're testing electric autonomous helicopters in four cities currently. Yep. And they said the rollout of those will be in every city that Uber exists today. We'll have electric autonomous helicopters by 2030 in every city that Uber exists. And they're already building, aren't they building like heliports on a lot of the new high rises with, yeah. uh, you know, residences as well as uh, commercial spaces. That'll be some of the next hottest real estate will be the heliports on tops of buildings. Because now you just go to one of those, like you'll take an Uber to one, you go up to the top of a building, you fly back to the next building, you go down and you go home. Jetsons. Jetsons, right? Well, like <laughs> the video phone that we now take for granted, like you and I are talking over video, but when I was growing up watching the Jetsons, like, whoa, that would be cool if you could talk to somebody and see them. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So all of this stuff is coming and we think that, so... So that's what I'm thinking about and working with my clients about is how do you get ahead of that curve? It's like trying to fight Amazon right now. There's no point. Just get on board. Yeah. Well, I think it's testament to a few things. First off, it's like Jetsons and you know, Star Wars, like the ultimate vivid vision for how people have or how the entrepreneurs have essentially you know, been pulled into that future, which I think is pretty, pretty fascinating. But also yeah. the other is not hesitating to think big, dream big. and explore the question of what's possible because that's what I think what we're wired to do. It's what sets us apart from all other living things is we can think, we can imagine, and we can dream. And it may seem crazy to some people. At the same time, those are the ones that have just changed the world. That's the, uh, the old Steve Jobs um, advertisement, right? Cameron, this has been amazing. Would you tell the audience how to, the best way to get your books, learn about you, follow you, see what you're up to? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So we have, as you mentioned, the second in command podcast, which they can listen to. And everyone who's interviewing the entrepreneur, I only interview the COO. I want the rest of the story. All five of my books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. So they can just look up my name and, and get any of my books. And I would get a copy of the book Meetings Suck for every single employee. That's one that you buy for every employee. You know, you invest 15 bucks. It's a game changer for your company. And then just CameronHerald.com has all the rest of my resources, the blog and all the rest of my contacts. stuff. Yeah, one of the parts of the interview I wanted to, to get into was you know, business rhythm and meetings and that structure. That's something I implemented right from your book, like almost line by line. And I mean, I can't tell you what type of difference that structure makes, but we, we'll save that for another time. There you go. Sounds great. Cameron, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much for sharing. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Hey, everyone. Patrick here. 
Listen, most of you know that I wrote a book last year called Heads I Win, Tails You Lose, A Financial Strategy to Reignite the American Dream. And the book has, has sold tens of thousands of copies. We're really excited about it. So for those of you who are new listening and haven't had your chance to pick one up, you guys can actually get it for free. So if you head over to thewealthstandard.com forward slash book, then all you have to do is pay for shipping and you will get your uh, copy for free. So head over to thewealthstandard.com forward slash book. Thanks for the support. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh,